Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to blustery, cold Wisconsin. Although, by the time you're listening to this, it may already be 40 degrees out. We have our full panel, which means Rebecca Lynch from the Wisconsin Working Families Party is with us. Rebecca? My car started this morning, and I'm here. Yay, Rebecca! <laughs> and by the way, just if people don't know, we do record Thursday morning normally. We're actually recording Thursday afternoon in the thought that maybe everyone could get their car started by noon and that means robert craig got his car started because he's sitting next to me the executive director at citizen action robert craig yeah and the parking lot next to my condo next to the lake is the windiest spot in the city so i was fairly concerned the battery would be frozen but it started so you know it's cold when robert doesn't bike to (laughs) to the office (laughs) very cold day well uh, Rebecca and I actually had been having conversation a couple days ago, actually, uh, whether we were going to do the podcast when we saw the temperature and what the heck would we talk about? Everything shut down, nothing's happening. And then Foxconn came back. So we <laughs> it's probably been like a month, I think, since we've mentioned the word Foxconn, which might be a record uh, for the last year and a half since this project was announced. Um, well, it's been shattered, and we had the biggest news, I think, ever since this project was uh, announced this week. And um, basically what happened is our local media was again scooped by uh, International Trade Magazine, uh, our, our paper, basically, that announced that there was going to be major changes at Foxconn and that they were definitely not going to build the, the screens and the TVs that we had had and that this was not going to be a large manufacturing plant, which is what was promised, right? 13,000 manufacturing jobs, and that this was going to be more of a... They were moving towards more of a research and development uh, approach, but they were committed to continuing to hire all the folks. Uh, Huge news yesterday, and the news then gets bigger today. More information against our local media. Again, the watchdogs here scooped by this international... uh, uh, Daily, Robert. What's the name of it? You have it in front of me. I don't. I don't have well, the name. Yeah, right the first day it was Reuters. Oh was no, Nash. no. But that came, Robert. They got it from oh, this. That okay. the same comp, the same uh, d- uh, magazine that originally told us there were problems at Foxconn uh, late last year. But nonetheless, today we find out that they're definitely not. It they is. have halted. They've actually halted uh, production or anything at the new plant. It is the Nikkei. Asian Review. Yes, and that is the this this outfit has scooped all of all of the Foxconn news, not only this week but in previous. They uh, might know something about Foxconn, uh, given it's located in Taiwan. Clearly, we ought to be <laughs> we all ought to be reading this daily now as this news <laughs> breaks. Apparently, um, but the big news today is that they again they've halted uh, that they're any construction. And it sounds like they're arguing or stating that they somehow have been in conversation with the Evers administration, and maybe even there was some kind of deal, although clearly um, Tony Evers' administration is very clear that no negotiations there of anything. But long and short of it, in summary, before I get the panel's comment, um, it is very clear. Oh, one other thing. The reason they said they're doing this is that clearly that the environment has changed and that there is no profitable business model to produce these screens here in America at this plant and make money. And so they are going to pull away from this because it is 
could be financially devastating to the company to actually move forward. So one thing that's clear is that this company clearly cares about the, its own interests, its financial interests, a lot more than the politicians of the state cared about the interests of the people of Wisconsin. Robert, you're, you're, I'll give you the initial comments here. Well, I said originally, after I waited 10 hours to testify against this originally, that this was a scandal waiting to happen. So here you go. We've also said repeatedly this was something just about Walker's re-election. So isn't it interesting uh, that the plug will be pulled soon after Walker's election? Far more suspicious than any claim the Republicans are making about Tony Evers' policies uh, less than a month in office somehow changing everything. So we'd known from the beginning that Foxconn it, uh, makes promises it doesn't follow through on. It did the same thing in Pennsylvania in 2013. We knew this during the whole debate. It did it in Vietnam. It did it in Indonesia. And they'd already changed the plan dramatically. They'd gone to much smaller screens. None of the economic models indicate you would need nearly as many people to produce the smaller screens. They said, continued to say during the election that they were going forward. I mean, this is the kind of thing where it'd be interesting to see what discussions there were between the Walker campaign and Foxconn about the timing of any changes. And it also gets to the question of why the lame duck session tied up WEDEC and kept C.E. Hogan in place until September. We set daily at the time it might be because they need to change the Foxconn contract because they're out of compliance. They didn't produce as many jobs in the first year as they promised. So we shouldn't believe anything Foxconn's saying. They came out of the gate and said they were still uh, proceeding, and this wasn't true, and then further press reports came uh, that they're suspending manufacturing, which they've now copped to. They will just say anything. Um, it was incredible in the first place. We all know that it's like a sixth of the jobs you should create by the national average for a job tax credit, that other big investments in education, healthcare, or renewable energy would produce a lot more jobs if you had $4 billion, which we now do. That's what we need to like hold on to here uh, to invest because we... Walker and company said we do, right? And we should make big investments, just the right ones, not this kind of investment. I don't want to discredit making investments. Now, the problem is now that um, it, this is all an election scam, it looks like. We should, count, we should assume this isn't going to happen. I mean, this is a bait and switch, right? Uh, but their current cover story, just so people understand, is, is that they're going to switch from manufacturing to being some kind of technology center that employs a whole bunch of engineers, like 13,000, because they also said again, again, uncredible, that they still plan on creating the 13,000 jobs. So part of the problem is it's not manufacturing. The other problem is that do you really need that many engineers? What model would you need the same number of people you'd need for manufacturing? Third thing is, as Mark Levine from UWM has pointed out, uh, this isn't what Foxconn does. Foxconn's a manufacturer. So it's, it's transparently ridiculous that they're going to create any such technology hub in the first place. But swallowed, and we get to this after Rebecca comments, again, by the, by the business community in Wisconsin, who ought to be ashamed, the big business leaders, because they're again shilling for Foxconn and saying everything is perfectly fine. So where we stand is, is that this thing is probably dead, and it's mostly about uh, the Republicans trying to evade all responsibility. Yeah, you know, I think folks who work with me, um, many of whom, you know, are, are volunteers or, or movement staffers who listen to the show, but also people sitting in front of me know that I work every single day of the week and I work on weekends and I work at night. And so I am trying to find a way to not 
just fall apart. And so I thought, all right, Wednesday, I'm going to take the day off. I'm going to be really strict and disciplined about it. It also happens to be the polar vortex. Everyone's going to be home. It's going to be great. Nothing's going to happen. And then, of course, this news came down the pike and a lot happened. And for folks who haven't seen it, um, Randy Bryce, who is now, you know, senior advisor to the Working Families Party, had a great op-ed in The Guardian this morning. He also had a good comment yesterday. Um, But we spent much of the day, you know, working on petitions and organizing and trying to figure out how to respond. So that's... That's a movement work for you. It just yeah. doesn't end. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I have a couple quick thoughts, you know, before before the next segment. You know, the first is uh, to, to build off of what Robert just said. All along, this has been not credible. And any economist will tell you, and many of them did, that this was just not a real plan that was ever going to happen. And I think the folks in the business community, folks in the Walker administration who supported it, supported it knowing it was not real, that it was a lie. And we now, you know, to, to your point about the 13,000 engineers is another not credible thing. <laughs> I, li- I just like saying that. <laughs> and and it, They're certainly not all going to be from here, right? Like, could no. you imagine where they're all coming from and, and to get 13? There Mass is immigration. No, yeah, there is no consequence for this lie, right? And I think that's something we've seen. And, you know, the, so that's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say is that the former Walker administration and current Republican legislative leadership and WEDEC leadership are not trustworthy stewards of the public good. I mean, it, it just this. Is, I mean, that's an understatement. I don't know how to how to say it's, it even it's more kind. It's it is yeah. shocking. Yeah. You know, it is highway robbery. It is it is almost criminal. It's really really outrageous. And I'm sure we'll talk about that more in a minute. But just wanted to underscore that. Um, but the last thing I want to say that's really important to me, something Randy and I talked about and and was in his op-ed, is that this is part of a growing national trend of truly shocking massive corporate giveaways. And we're seeing it with Foxconn, we're seeing it with Amazon, we see it in New Jersey. Over and over, we're seeing massively increasing corporate giveaways that are are really, really shocking. Um, and and are, are, I don't know what to call it, capitalism run amok, I don't know. But there's only one response to it, and it's not quibbling over the amount of subsidies. It's no subsidies. Our economic development are gonna be massive public programs. And the one that's really catching fire is the Green New Deal, and yep. that is our response. And yep. so I think, you know, I really want to frame this in terms of the conversation about the issues with our current capitalist system with without regulations, something that Senator Elizabeth Warren talks talks movingly about, some other folks do, or you know, maybe moving to a democratic socialist system that's being advocated for by Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez or Senator Sanders. But like there there is a structural larger problem here than this one deal, though this is incredibly shocking. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that is the broader context that we have to have on this. We are going to take a break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to be joined by State Representative Jonathan Barostoff, who was out first, really one of the early ones. I don't want to say first, but one of the very early state legislators to get out and very clearly call this out for what it was. We'll be joined by uh, Representative Barostoff right after this break. You're listening to Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So we are talking about the ultimate con, the Fox con, and we are very fortunate to be joined by State Representative Jonathan Brostoff, who, as we said before the break, was truly an early truth teller on Foxconn. He did not at all equivocate from the minute he heard about it, and um, I think did a really good job of 
you're just bringing clarity and organizing to certainly Democrats, but just more broadly to the progressive movement. Representative Brostoff, thanks for joining us. Hey, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So, well, we wish we could say uh, we had better news, but like this is nothing to be shocking. So we just want to start, get your initial thoughts and comments, and we'll, we'll dive into deeper conversation after that. Yeah, well, I mean, this was... I think anyone who is being kind of intellectually honest from the jump about this, who really looked into the details, could have predicted this from the jump. And the initial way the contract and legislation was written, the context of what they'd done to other communities, not just Pennsylvania, also in India, Brazil, et cetera, the people that we're dealing with, you know, you have Trump you know, who's claiming credit for this, you have Walker and you have Foxconn, three incredible, you know, any one of those as kind of a lead on a deal would be a red flag. When you have all three together, it's like a triple <laughs> negative, you know. So you you have this conflicts of events coming together to say, of course, this is not going to be what we're being promised. They've done this to other communities. They've stolen before. The, you know, Walker has lied about jobs from his very first election. And you have Trump who lies more than anyone, any other public figure has ever been, more than every other public figure combined. This is like a perfect situation where, of course, it ain't going to be these magic beans that they're saying. But we also had a lot of campaign money flowing. We had a lot of dark money flowing. And so when you actually like kind of separate the white noise from the reality, exactly what went down was supposed to go down, meaning they got paid, we got played, and that's what they wanted from the jump. They initially, uh, you know, kind of set this into motion so that some key Republican figures, including Walker, including a bunch of the folks, were going to get some of their donors paid off, their donors were going to kick back to them. Uh, Foxconn was going to throw some stuff around. All that went down. He still lost the election, despite all that extra money flowing in. But that was what was supposed to happen. They were going to get paid with a really loose contract, and they knew that this wasn't going to be. And and you know what they really wanted? Something that's not getting a lot of coverage, which, you know, again, was, was I think, fairly easy to see from the jump, was they want a base of operations in the United States in prediction of the upcoming trade war with the United States between the United States and China. Now they have it. It had nothing to do with producing you know, LCD screens or anything else. That's what they wanted. And for them to now go around and say, oh, well, we didn't predict the labor cost in America would be larger than in China. That's ridiculous. Of course, it doesn't make sense. It's not true. Of course, that doesn't make sense. So before Rebecca jumps in, just one clarification on your statement. You said they got paid, we got played. So who got paid? The Walker reelection effort or Foxconn? Yes. Or is it both? Uh, both at our expense. So the way it works in the worst of politics and the corruption that's, that's recently found its way to Wisconsin, where, you know, we actually used to have a clean government sort of mentality. And we used to be famous for it, especially compared to Illinois. But now under the Walker and Voss era, we've seen this kind of, uh, you know, total corruption of the process where you got some rich campaign donors, you got some politicians who are willing to sell out. And you have taxpayer dollars. So the taxpayer dollars get funneled into the campaign donors' hands. Campaign donors kick back some money to the politicians, and it goes like a downward spiral of corruption ever onward. And that's what we saw here. So you'll see, you know, just look at, for example, who the, um, you know, some of these contractors that were some of the biggest Walker donors, uh, you know. And, and by the way, not to jump on a different subject, but look at Kimberly Clark. Look at who is running that and who 
you know, was the top lobbyist on that project. And it, it it's it's more than just the Foxconn. The Foxconn is just the most egregious example of it. But yeah, basically politicians got paid off. The company got paid off and it's all with our money. And that and that was how it was supposed to be. And you know, from the very beginning, every single piece of this stunk. Every single piece of this stunk. And again, they've done it to so many other communities. They've already done this to other places. But it wasn't about that. It was never about that. That's what they'd say publicly, but it was never about that. It was just about them getting paid off and trying to uh, grasp power through the most corrupt means possible. You know, I want to pick, I, I, Representative Brostov, it's Rebecca Lynch from the Working Families Party. I want to pick on something that you said, uh, because I think it's really important. Uh, and it is this cycle of money and politics that uh, obviously was very heavily on the Republican side in this instance. But I, I want to talk a little bit about that as a continuation of something I mentioned last week on the show, which is that you know, we at the Working Families Party believe that there are really important differences between the Republican and Democratic parties, but there are a lot of key similarities. And the similarities have a lot to do with the donor class of both parties and the instincts that are created by the, that donor class. And so, you know, I want to start by saying something that Matt said at the top of the segment, which is applauding you for being one of the early opponents of this massively corrupt and outrageous deal. And, you know, now it seems, and we were talking about this before the show, it, in hindsight, oh, of course, all the, the Democrats were against it. But that actually was not true. In fact, there were no. a lot of people who were silent. There were a lot, there were even, there was even someone running for governor on the Democratic line who was for it initially. And so I think, you know, you were like a real truth teller on that. And I, I want to point that out to say that um, and one of the similarities between both parties generally, whether it's in Wisconsin or nationally, is this agreement on this type of process, that some mm -hmm. people were opposed to the deal because they didn't think it was a good deal or because it was too much money. But generally, there is consensus that providing these type of economic incentives to private corporations is a good way to create jobs. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is something that it isn't necessarily something we take for granted at the Working Families Party or that... Uh, a lot of American people take for granted. And I think, you know, whether we're talking about the Green New Deal or people talk about what happened during the Great Depression with FDR and his New Deal, you know, people think about economic development often, the people themselves, as public programs, not giving mm -hmm. money to private corporations. And so, I don't know, it's just something like, like generally I find really interesting and wanted to get your take on that and also specifically where we go from here in terms of your colleagues. Um, you know, both on the Democratic and Republican side. I know the Republicans responded right away, so it might be easier to dive into first, but really would be interested to hear some of your thoughts on that. Well, that's a lot to digest, so let me try and kind of pick apart a couple things and we can retouch anything I, I haven't uh, got into that you want to talk about. Cool? Yeah. That sounds great. Okay, so it, first real quick, off, Jonathan, I, if we have to yeah. go to another, uh, if, if we got about three minutes in the segment, if we have to go to another one, can you stick with us? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great, great. Yeah, um, actually, because of the weather, my stuff got canceled today, so I'm, <laughs> I'm easy. But, uh, yeah, basically, 100% um, agree. It's not just a Republican thing, although, unfortunately, Republicans have taken it to another grosser level. But absolutely, it happens on both sides, and that's part of why I've tried to lead as a PAC-free candidate, not taking any PAC dollars, even from friends such as, you know, the nurses or teachers or other groups I agree with. But I think that that system is inherently flawed systemically, and I'm trying to lead the way to show that you can be successful in your election bid without uh, taking that sort of money and kind of lead by example sort of thing. Um, to the 
other uh, point you had, that's so, so true. The paradigm has shifted in a really unhealthy way in our political discourse. The idea, whether it's you're at Amazon or Kimberly Clark or the Foxconn or anything else, that it's government's job to intervene in the free market and to pick winners and losers and say, okay, this company, because you paid someone off in the right way, you're going to get paid from us and we're going to subsidize. No, nah, the deal is you get money because you spend money because that's capitalism. You take the risk, you can get the money. Why should the government have to underwrite your liability? It doesn't make any sense. But that's the paradigm we find ourselves in now because we've allowed it so long. We have so many corrupt politicians selling out to it that that's just become the norm. So now private industry, quote unquote private, gets these fatty government kickbacks that are incredibly unfair to if anyone actually cares about like a, a competitive market-based system because you're forcing the competitors through their tax dollars to pay off their competition because of special political relationships and it stifles market growth, it stifles innovation, and also, by the way, it screws over taxpayers and it's an incredibly inefficient system. Whereas something like what you're referring to or what AOC has said or others is that, of course, we can have a much more efficient system. We could retrofit at every single building, as we, as Dr. Craig and I talked about before, in Wisconsin, every single state uh, agency, state building with green energy and create jobs that way, we could redo all the roofs, create jobs that way. We could hire enough teachers in this state to lower classroom sizes in every public school to an acceptable level, uh, 18 to 1 ratio. We could do all that, and it would have a much better ROI in our economy because the money would be spent locally. But instead, we've gotten into this corrupt paradigm of paying off corporations for a really inefficient jobs program. And even if even if the Foxconn, like let's do some quick math here. Even if the Foxconn fulfilled all the public things that they promised, which we knew they weren't doing, but even if they did do that, let's just pretend that they did. How much money per job are we talking about? You're talking about hundreds of thousands per job? You're talking about more than hundreds of thousands per job? That doesn't make sense. But that I much think. money we could we could have a much more efficient system that actually helps our community. We could reinvest in the university system, which is a fifteen to one economic activity creator. So, so anyway, that yeah, I agree. We're gonna we're <laughs> gonna take a break here. We're gonna bring Representative Brostoff back after the break. Folks, that might have been the best eleven minutes of radio you're gonna hear all year on Economics 101. We're the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are having a great conversation with State Representative Jonathan Brostoff about the biggest con probably we've seen pulled off in our state, the Fox Con, and we were talking about just how awful a development uh, economic development pro policy project, not only the Foxconn is, but that we're, our political environment really has has uh, sort of uh, immersed itself in. Robert, you had a question for the representative. Well, and just as far as the con, it, it would only be the biggest con if they got the $4 billion. So the good news, uh, we can we should all realize all the people's hopes were, in, were you know, uh, you know, spurned by this, all the folks in the Racine Kenosha area, this is horrible, but uh, it, it's better for Wisconsin that this not go forward. And I was saying that to media yesterday, but Robert Rush said it on national TV uh, yesterday as well. But this implicates something even more, and that is economic development policy as it's developed since the 1970s at the local level, at the state level, is all uh, predicated on subsidy, corporate subsidies. And so what corporations 
have ended up doing is they've ended up uh, both since the 1970s hollowing out the public sector, pulling out an immense amount of investments that we spend much less per capita on infrastructure, education, other things that we did in the 1970s, but then taken the other money. Part that, so it's a, it's a twofer, right? And that they go together. And so I mean, the economic analysis nationally, there are in, research institutes like the Upton, Upton Institute that study this stuff, show that the amount a city or a state spends on economic development subsidies has no relation to job creation overall or to growth and GBT uh, uh, and and you know uh, GDP overall. In other words, the only thing it really does is take money out of the public sector and away from people and give it to corporations. It's well, and and it's the it's the opposite. It's actually worse because there is an opportunity cost to not investing that money into something that has a proven successful track record, such as education, uh, uh, K-12 education, your public university systems, uh, your environmental protections, et cetera. Like that same money not being spent in ways that are helpful is actually by its definition hurtful. And on top of that, there's also another insidious component that goes with the two, Robert, which is the part of the Fox cow we didn't see, which, which also, thank God, isn't going to be fully realized because the nature of the LCD production uh, th that we're talking about, and if you look at what happened in the Shenzhen province um, and, and one of the other factories and, and what's been going on with the villages that are upriver, et cetera, or excuse me, downriver, you see that these incredible environmental degradations come with it. And they shoehorned a precedent for environmental degradation into Wisconsin through this bill with the little kind of zone in that part of Wisconsin uh, for the wetlands destruction, which was the predecessor to the wetlands destruction bill. But that's the other side of it is it's not just about taking the money. It's also about lowering the standards, which ultimately what hurt the people. Because when you don't have, in this case, for example, in that part of that corridor of Wisconsin, the flood mitigation uh, because of what those natural wetlands provide, that hurts. And we've had how many hundred-year floods in the last uh, 16 years, right? Like, that hurts. On top of that, there's also a uh, lowering of wages effects. So it's, it's the opportunity cost. It's the environmental side. There's so many components to it. But again... Why? Why is this happening? Well, because you got a couple at the top, you got a handful of people at the top trying to get theirs off of everyone else. And if you look towards the policies you're referring to from the 50s and the 70s and to where we're at today, we will see one other thing, which is that even though technology has gone up, productivity has gone up, you know what else has gone up? The wage gap. Yeah. People yeah. are making less and working harder for less. Their spending capacity is less than it's ever been. Why? Because we are siphoning more resources out of everyone and up to the top. And those people are buying off the politicians that are for sale. And it's happening over and over and over again. And that cycle is, is hurting everyone except for a handful of mega billionaires. By the way, later for you, Schultz, that's something else. Schultz is a good example. You know, we had this Starbucks dude talking about he's going to run this and that. It's like, dude saying it's too expensive to pay for everyone's health care. What does this guy know about too expensive? He's one of those greedy corporate jerks that's taken money left and right from our healthcare system. Because again, it's the opportunity cost. If it ain't be sitting on our healthcare, it's be spent on their welfare. It's being spent on those extreme corporate subsidies. And he's been one of the biggest beneficiaries of that. So you know what's too expensive? Extreme corporate welfare. Do people want healthcare, extreme corporate welfare? You tell me. You put that on the ballot initiative. You let me know what happens.
so Jonathan, you know, we talked about all of the reasons why this this plan has gone the way that it has, right? It was never realistic. It was a bad deal. Um, you know, the, there is a, a Trojan horse for trying to push through all of these other these other things you just mentioned. Uh, and yet, you know, what we got immediately as a response from Republican leadership in Madison was that this was the fault of Governor Evers. And I think they I have the, <laughs> the quote in front of me. I think they said, you know, he has a, quote, anti-jobs agenda, which is ridiculous. <laughs> his, he, jobs are a huge part of his platform and that he pledged to do away with successful incentives for manufacturing and agriculture. Obviously, none of this is and successful. caused a wave of economic uncertainty in less than a month. It's amazing. In less than a month. <laughs> so, you know, that that was our immediate response. And I just want to, like, highlight, you know, a WFP leader, Citizen Action Co-op member's response before I get yours. But uh, sure. Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, who immediately tweeted out, well, it looks like the party of, quote, you know, res- personal responsibility isn't taking much responsibility for this deal. But I'm interested to hear from you, you know, your take on the Republican leadership's response to this. And just want to remind listeners there that Republicans in the legislature in Madison in both houses have a tremendous amount of power due to unconstitutional gerrymandering. Uh, And so what they say and what their positions are matters a great deal for what happens next. And, you know, my second part of the question after you respond to what your your colleagues on the other side of the aisle said is what happens next? Like, where do we go from here? Well, I'll put it like this. They're tripping and they're just complete. They're, they're, you know, they're liars lying for liars to protect their lies. Like that's it. They're liars and they're willing to distort. They lied from the beginning about what this deal was. They lied from the beginning about what it was going to be. And now they're lying because they're afraid of the backlash. Cause this, by the way, that's the other thing is that if you actually look at the polling data, this was a wildly unpopular project across the state. And there, are, and even in that corridor, it wasn't very popular. You know why? Cause people be losing their homes for this stuff. They had to eminent domain, take people's homes away now for what? You know, but you can't, you know, you can't unbulldoze that or whatever. But this was a, you know, and, and all the, all the, you know, all the money that that local community, um, you know, Mount Pleasant is out now because of the uh, infrastructure costs that they're like, oh, well, they'll pay this back. You know, we'll over the next 30 years or whatever, 50 years, 100 years, whatever, we'll get this money back because eventually the taxes will flow. Da, da, da. Again, this inefficiency. But at the end of the day, they they broke it. And this is what the Republicans do over and over and over. It's their playbook. They did it to Obama. You remember, you know, if, if we remember back, we had who? Clinton goes into Bush, right? Biggest surplus to biggest deficit. Bush, Iraq War, Halliburton, all that stuff. Obama. Obama gets us back on track. Trump. And now he's breaking it again. All these trade wars, tariffs, everything else. That's what they do. Republicans don't know how to make anything. They only know how to break everything. And they're breaking it now and saying, well, now that Evers is in charge and we broke it, it's his fault. And by the way, they also, through their corrupt lame duck session, removed through their power grab the ability to have accountability uh, mechanism in place that Evers could have done to protect more Wisconsinites because they knew this was going south. They knew it from the jump. And again, they were getting paid while we were getting played. I do want to take a little bit of time to speak to the second part of your question, where do you go from here? Because I think that's the kind of million dollar question or $4.5 billion question or whatever we'll say. So this is a really important moment. Um, You know, I was just looking at a proverb earlier today. It says something like, uh, you know, the tree of patience has bitter roots and delicious fruits. You know, it's like you, 
you want to, when I saw this, I had a very visceral reaction and it was very upsetting to me. And I've been trying to post a lot and get as much information about it as I can, but I I'm upset by this because every time, first of all, every time I see the bucks arena, I see hundreds of millions of dollars that aren't going into our schools that aren't going into other things. And I thought that was going to be the worst example of extreme corporate welfare I've seen now with this, although luckily it's not going to be as bad as it could have had been, uh, as it turns out, uh, it's just one more reminder about the corruption that's eating away at our democracy constantly. And we have to look at how we got here, what happened. I have a visceral response. I have an angry response to it. But the answer isn't, you know, it's not an immediate answer, meaning it took years and years of planning and work to execute uh uh, uh, the plans to actually take over government in this way to get the sort of corruption through and to make it happen against the will of the people. And it's not going to be fixed overnight. The lesson to draw from this is that larger movement building organizing, which takes time, is is going to have to happen. And we just have to draw this as one more uh, one more example where we have to have some uh, uh, building and organizing opportunities, take our energy from it and do something with it. We have lots of elections. coming. We obviously have an election coming up in April, but we also have election right around the corner from that. We have the presidential 2020 coming up. We have new maps for state assembly where they're not going to be gerrymandered in the way that they are now uh, after that and for some state Senate seats. This is an opportunity for movement building. And if you are sick of the corruption, don't be, you know, don't don't just hop in for like one extreme example of corporate welfare. You know, build some roots on this. Let's let's build a movement on this and keep working on it because this stuff keeps happening over and over. It's cyclical unless that's interrupted, unless there's long term planning. So um, so again, I you know, I've been getting that question a lot. What's our response? How are we gonna handle it? And I'll tell you one other thing, what the Republicans playbook is. Hey, hey, Jonathan. I sure. got to run yeah. to a break. Can you stick with us on the backside and tell us that one thing more before we go? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, great. Sure. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. <laughs> We're Citizen Action, and you can find us at Citizen Action. I'm fired up today. Yeah, well, you should be. CitizenActionWI.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are joined by Representative Jonathan Brostoff. He has been educating us on what's been going on we've uh, with foxconn we're having a great conversation jonathan right before the break you were about to tell us one more very important thing i'd just go right on into it yeah i mean they they're planning long term they have been planning long term on the stuff and they have plans for months from now for years from now that they're going to be executing at the state level we need to actually take a, a playbook from that and think about what we want to see one month from now, five months from now, five years from now, and how we're going to get there. Once the destination is defined, the path gets made much clearer. So if we want to see a, a dynamic shift in extreme corporate welfare and stop doing, starting to interrupt this cycle, this downward spiral, what does that look like? Is there a path through Working Families Party, through Citizen Action? Is there a path now with someone like Mandela Barnes, who is lieutenant governor now, but Mike could be a very good governor very soon as well. Is there a path through, uh, you know, the state elections coming up um, after we have new maps? And I think that's a question that every single listener should think about for themselves and what they can contribute. But think about it long term, because that's what they're doing. And the answer, in short, is movement building. Well, 
Representative Rostov, we agree with you about the critical importance of movement building. We have been on a three-year journey here to try to build these organizing cooperatives and build Absolutely. organization throughout the state. And uh, this only makes us more and more committed to not only do that work, but to do it and, and help support and find and elect more people like yourself uh, who will lead and uh, you know actually uh, stick to their values. So we want to first thank you for your leadership on this issue and for regularly coming on and uh, right from the beginning and talking about Foxconn so, so clearly um, and also with a vision about what we ought to be doing. So thank you so much. My pleasure. My pleasure. Stay warm. Keep that cocoa flowing. Yeah. We're really uh, thankful for Representative Brostoff joining us. That was um, that was an excellent uh, segment in terms of economics and what we ought to be doing. But we want to, before we go, we need to spend a little bit of time talking about the state Supreme Court race. We had hoped or had thought before Foxconn broke that we would have a whole show really diving into the Supreme Court as a body, where we stand, what's at stake over the next few years. Um, and we are going to have that conversation uh, maybe next week, but in the near future. Um, but we did need to at least talk about the news that broke today. Um, here in Milwaukee, the journal Sentinel, uh, BICE, had an article that exposed a number of things. Uh, the conservative candidate for state Supreme Court, Judge Brian Hagedorn, uh, seems that he had a blog, and this blog had a lot of information about him. Quite shocking information. Rebecca, I know you read this, but this you'd like to think that this information would make this fella unelectable. Educate our listeners. Sure. So just to to pull a couple highlights, Dan Bice, as usual, with the with the scoop yes. on this kind of gossip. Um, no, I mean, th this follows a trend. I'll just preface this by saying of the Republican Party and that that wing of the political spectrum putting out more and more outrageous candidates for state Supreme Court. It's it's an interesting strategy. Um, but so so let's kind of like dive right in. So he wrote twice, uh, Hagedorn, that is, that uh, the gay rights, the landmark gay rights ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court um, was something that he disagreed with. And he wrote, quote, the idea. I don't even want to say this. Basically, he 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 feels that constitutionally there is no difference between um, homosexuality and bestiality. Yep. That is something that he feels so strongly he wrote it down and published it more than once. Um, he also went after Planned Parenthood, calling it a wicked organization um, that, you know, uh, kills babies, in his words. Um, and so it's really, um, you know, and that's just, just some of the things that he said, but really kind of like red meat, shocking stuff. And this is someone who is who is running for the highest court in the state. So unclear, you know, what the reaction is going to be on the on the right wing kind of side of things. But generally, I think for voters, um, no, and just and just quickly, you know, and pe for people who are a little bit more independent, you know, um, especially women, this is something I think is going to have an impact on whether or not they come out and vote at all and who they vote for. I don't know, Robert, what do you think? Well, let me just comment on it first as a as a gay man, and that is quite frankly. This is bigotry, pure and simple. Um, and I'll say it. He said literally that it's like that the, the gay marriage decision, the U.S. Supreme Court is like the legalization of bestiality, sex with animals in America, and that there is no right in our Constitution to have sex with whoever 
or whatever you want in the privacy of your own home or barn. So, chilling. It's just chilling. It's chilling. Uh, He then gives religious justification and talks about being directed by God. Then his spokesperson has the audacity to say that it wouldn't affect his personal views, would not affect actions on the high court. Yes. So, in other words, would we really say for anything equally offensive to women, to any ethnic group or people of color, oh, yes, he's a terrible bigot, uh, he or she, but it won't affect any of their decisions on the court. Well, he literally says that that is his view of the Constitution. Yes. That's his legal right. opinion. That's right. That there's no right in our Constitution. So he made a legal statement. Right. And by the way, I don't know that there's a right in our Constitution to sex, right? I don't think there is. Uh, so of any kind, with, uh, with anybody. So, and he says later in, in the quotes that Dan Bice has pulled out in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel uh, that, uh, that, that part of his direction by the Lord is to defend the institution of marriage, okay, which he, of course, means exclusively uh, for heterosexuals. I don't know uh, whether people having sex out of wedlock or, or not being married or whatever, whether he thinks that that is not constitutionally protected, because after all, he says that the Constitution doesn't protect any right to have sex with whomever. So don't know. I think he should have to answer that. But let me just put it, uh, this is Walker's former lawyer. That's why he's a judge. We give him too much credit by saying Judge Hagedorn. He's he's there as a political hack, and he was set up to run for uh, state Supreme Court. This is what a lot of the cultural warriors, which he calls himself on the right, actually believe. And there's a very small segment of the population left that actually believes anything like this. And is this disqualifying? The answer should be absolutely yes. And, uh, yeah, so I, I think we could leave it at that. He was already unqualified, already a political hack, already in trouble because their last political hack didn't, do, didn't fare well because the right-wing establishment, and this is what Rebecca was talking to, moving to the political part of this, has gotten lazy, right? They originally were running all sorts of judges that were qualified and putting huge money behind them and packing the court with right-wingers. Now they start figuring, we can put anyone on we want. It's a little bit like when George H.W. Bush tried to put the White House lawyer unqualified on the U.S. Supreme Court. It's the same kind of arrogance. And what we have to be careful of is, because I think Hagedorn will lose, but we have to make him lose, uh, that the, the approach that Democrats want to take and, uh, th- and more mainline people, if we never say anything in judicial races, may work against, again, the last race. It may work w- where Dalit won. It may work with Hagedorn. They're going to get smart and start putting unqualified people who have these views but never said it in public. For me, the jury is out on why they keep putting up such terrible candidates. It, it could be arrogance and laziness, as you said, it, it could be a deliberate strategy that happened to not work last time and they think could work this time, but it, it is baffling to me. Like, nothing about this person makes them a good candidate for any office, like any statewide office, let alone a judicial office. And yeah. it just seems like a deliberate strategy, but, like, to what end, I don't know. Like, I'm truly baffled. They thought Walker be governor, and his connection to Walker, though he'll, so he'll approve anything Walker does, is, is what this is about, right? I, yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Well, look, we, since we only have about a minute or so left in the show, Robert, you mentioned something. We need to talk more about this, and that is sort of the the democratic or the progressive approach and how our candidates are responding um, and the importance of 
at least having somebody who can articulate a different vision, right, that would energize our base. Uh, that may not be necessary uh, if this person is so unqualified. We will see. We will not take that for granted. We'll continue to talk more about that and uh, this race going forward. But we will, uh, hopefully next week, if it's not, it's going to happen within the month. We are going to have a deeper dive here on the Supreme Court, both talking about uh, this 2019 race, but also 2020. Um, folks, remember, this seat is just to protect Shirley Abrahams' son's seat. And uh, we, next cycle, we'll have a Republican, a current conservative. Who is it again? Refresh my memory, which which one it is. We'll, uh, we'll do did, due diligence. Yeah, they're pretty indistinguishable, <laughs> so yeah, that's a really hard question. Yeah, but I, I, we'll, we'll have an actual incumbent conservative up and an opportunity to start to really reshape the Supreme Court. But we'll talk more about that in the future. Um, oh, we I think wanna, it's Judge Kelly, actually, yeah. now that I'm thinking. We're going to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin podcast. We want to thank very much Representative Jonathan Brostoff for coming on, quite frankly, producing some of the best uh, radio we've ever had on this show. Uh, and we want to thank our producer, Brian Wildridge, who makes the podcast happen every week. Came in on this bitterly cold day, as did uh, thanks to Rebecca Lynch for coming in uh, to our office and helping record. Again, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We'll see you next week.